Hi, I'm Snigdha Sharma and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In today's episode, we discuss the origins of COVID-19, how the Indian government is fine-tuning its vaccine policy and the latest COVID-related updates. The search for the origins of SARS-CoV-2 continues. While the certainties collected so far are few, there are many assumptions and many of them could be probable but without scientific confirmation. Out of these, the one that has gained the most traction is the lab leak theory. To talk about it, we were joined by Indian Express's Nirupma Subramanian. Nirupma, can you begin by telling us why is it important to find out where the virus came from in the first place? I think there's a couple of things about studying the origin of the virus. One is, of course, to fix accountability in a sense, because this is something that has laid the world low for over two years, and people really do want to know where it began and how it started. That's one thing. And then the second thing, of course, and and that is why the scientific community is so upset uh, and wants a broader inquiry into this, is because knowing exactly what the origins are would according to the scientific community, would help prevent a future recurrence of uh, an infectious disease outbreak or a pandemic. And if it has by any chance, if the virus has by any chance leaked out from a lab, then you're looking at how to fix lab safety, how to enhance the security of labs, how to fix lab procedures, so things like that. And of course, there are people who say that if it has originated from from a lab in China, as the new Wuhan lab leak theory has it, then the world should demand some kind of reparations from China. So, uh, talking about this lab leak theory, uh, it was also being discussed when the pandemic began uh, last year. And uh, now, after US President Joe Biden uh, said that the origin has to be investigated, it has gained more traction again. So, can you tell us on what basis is it gaining so much popularity? Although it's sort of gaining traction now because uh, a whole lot of people are asking for the inquiry, including very important scientists from very prestigious universities uh, in America and in North America and in Europe. I think it's a theory that has existed from April of 2020. But at that time, there was a feeling that uh, this is a fringe theory, that it's a conspiracy theory, that it is a racist theory, that it is being propagated to corner China for some reason. And particularly because it came from President Trump and his followers, a lot of people who were in the anti-Trump camp, Democrats, for instance, uh, even President Joe Biden, even Dr. Anthony Fauci, a whole lot of scientists... Some of the same scientists who are demanding an inquiry now into the lab leak hypothesis, a whole lot of people just dismissed it. And also, we now know that Mike Pompeo, who's a secretary of state in the Trump administration, he ordered an inquiry by the State Department in September, October of 2020. And we know that because in January of this year, the State Department then put out a fact sheet which laid out three main things. The fact sheet was basically about this Wuhan Institute of Virology. And it said that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute had fallen ill with symptoms that were similar to COVID-19 in well before the first reported case on December 8, 2019. The second point it made was that 
In 2017, uh, the researchers at the Wuhan Institute had conducted experiments with a particular strain of bat coronavirus taken from bat sample that had a 96.2% match with COVID-19. And this particular virus was isolated as far back as 2013. 2013, mind you. I mean, it's a full seven years. It was isolated from bat from samples taken from bat feces in a copper mine in Yunnan region. And in that mine, six miners had died in 2012. They also made the additional point that this Wuhan Institute of Virology had also involved in military research on behalf of the People's Federation Army. So they put out a fact sheet and then the Biden administration did not really contradict it, but they didn't seem too hot on it either. I mean, they didn't really say, okay, immediately, let us now investigate this Wuhan Institute. They didn't do all that. In fact, CNN reported that the Biden administration said this whole State Department inquiry was a waste of time and resources and they actually shut it down. That was a report in the CNN. And then what happened was, in May 14th, a group of 18 scientists then wanted an inquiry. They wrote to this prestigious scientific journal called Science that an inquiry has to take place to establish greater clarity about the origins of this pandemic. And they're saying that it is necessary to do this and it is feasible to do this. And they demanded that two theories, one is a natural, that the virus originated in nature, and the other is that of a spillover from a laboratory. So they both be considered seriously. And then following this, you had two very consequential stories in uh, the Wall Street Journal. One was on May 23rd and the other was on May 24th, which actually developed this theory of three people falling ill in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They fixed, they, they quoted from a classified intelligence report saying that the three people had fallen ill in November 2019. And then they went into the whole thing about the copper mines. So all this has galvanized the world into demanding that there has to be a broader inquiry. And the Wuhan lab leak theory itself has sort of gained more followers now than it had before. Right. And uh, Nirupma, there is also some talk of a virus called RABTCOV4991. Uh, can you tell us more about it? In 2016, a group of researchers from the lab, they published a paper in which they said that they had identified a particular strain of coronavirus. And this was called RABT-COV-4991. So this research was published in 2016. In 2020, four years later, the same set of researchers published a paper in Nature, which is another very well-regarded scientific journal. And this time they described RATG13. And they said that this had a 96.2% genome sequence match with SARS-CoV-19. So when researchers across the world, when the scientific community across the world saw this paper in February 2020, by then COVID-19 had already begun in the world. I mean, there were cases coming up and there were cases in Europe, cases that started in China, some cases in India as well. And then they discovered that the two viruses, RABT, COVID-4991 and RATG13, they looked very similar. They had a partial genome sequence match. 
So when they questioned the scientists, then the scientists said, yes, yes, actually, they're the same virus. But then they said, no, we're not saying that the six miners in the copper mine died because of this. But yeah, they are the same virus. And that virus has a match, a 96.2% match with COVID-19. So there was a lot of puzzlement in the world as to why China had actually, why these researchers had not come out in the first place and said, hey, look, we identified this virus back in 2016, why they had given it a new name and all that. So it created a lot of confusion in the world. And there were a lot of question marks about the transparency of the data coming out of that lab. And of course, that was one end of the story. And the, the other end, you had people saying, no, they obfuscated because they know that this virus leaked from the lab. And uh, how has China responded to all of this? See, the Chinese stand is, look, there has been a WHO report and it has placed its findings before the world. And that whatever is coming out now is uh, hype, it's stigmatization, it is uh, political manipulation blame shifting and the countries who are demanding an investigation into the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis are irresponsible. They are uh, acting in a way that is counterproductive to the efforts to fight the virus and so on. So they've been really angry at the sudden traction to the Wuhan lab theory. And uh, finally, can you also tell us a bit more about this WHO report? So the World Health Assembly said that the WHO would carry out an inquiry into the origins of the virus. And so that study was carried out by 34 scientists. So 17 of them were Chinese and 17 were international. And they carried out their study in January, February this year. And the report was published on March 30th of this year. They also put forth a lab leak theory. They said to very likely that the virus spread from an animal to an intermediate host to human beings. And they also virtually dismissed the lab leak theory, saying it was extremely unlikely. Although even the director general of WHO said that they had not studied this particular scenario, the lab leak scenario, enough to come to any conclusive, they didn't have conclusive evidence. And now coming to the government's plan to review or fine-tune its current vaccine strategy. The government plans to review the impact of its decision to extend the interval between Covishield doses. This will happen once it collects data from a newly proposed COVID vaccine tracker platform that it will launch shortly. Also in talks is the strategy of mixing vaccines. A growing number of countries are looking at switching to different COVID-19 vaccines for second doses. This comes amid supply delays and safety concerns that have slowed down their vaccination campaigns. Many medical studies to test the efficacy of switching COVID-19 vaccines are currently underway. To talk about what the Indian government is considering right now for its vaccination drive, we spoke to Prabha Raghavan. Prabha, can you begin by telling us about uh, the reasoning behind the government's thinking of, uh, you know, making Covishield a single dose? A couple of the things that they're going to try and understand using this vaccine tracking platform include whether the intervals that we're using for vaccines like Covishield are correct, whether a longer interval between the first and second dose of the vaccine is better than a shorter interval, and another thing that they're going to be reviewing when they look at the data around August is whether it's better to just give 
one dose of Covishield. And the thought process here is that, well, other viral vector vaccines, you know, other vaccines that use the same platform as Covishield also have a single dose version. Now you see Johnson & Johnson, which is a single dose vaccine. It's, it uses the same platform as Covishield. It's a viral vector vaccine. Another viral vector vaccine, Sputnik V, even though it is a two-dose vaccine, the company that has been tying up with different governments to supply this vaccine to different countries has said that they found that the first dose is good enough. And so they're launching another version of that vaccine called Sputnik Light, which is just the first dose of that vaccine. And that's all you'll need to take. And so the Indian government's thought process here is that, well, if we are seeing other viral vector vaccines being effective with a single dose, then it's highly likely that Covishield might also only require a single dose. And the thing with Covishield, which is the Indian version of the AstraZeneca vaccine, is that the vaccine that it was based off of, the AstraZeneca vaccine, was initially supposed to be a single dose vaccine. And so there is a possibility that this vaccine may likely be effective as a single dose shot given a certain interval or given a certain period for it to become as effective as it is required to be. And that's kind of the thought process that the government has over here when when they're thinking of looking at the possibility of using Covishield as just a single dose vaccine. Right. But uh, weren't there earlier studies uh, saying that a single dose of Covishield uh, does not offer enough protection? So even if we look at the most recent studies that have come out from real life evidence collected on a large population that has been receiving these vaccines, let's take a look at the study that came out of the UK towards the end of May. They found that a single dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And this study was conducted on both the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccine. So what they found in the end was that a single dose of either vaccine was not effective enough to help people fend off infections against COVID, especially when it came to certain variants of the coronavirus. And the variants that it looked at were variants that are dominant in India and the UK. These are the B617.2 variant, which is becoming dominant in India. It has increasingly been found in samples and uh, the government has notified it as a variant of concern. There's another variant called the B1.1.7, which again, in India specifically, a lot of people who were getting infected with COVID were presenting with this variant of the virus in the northern part of India. And so given this specific scenario where you are trying to make sure that we are not only able to fight off severe disease and death against the the original coronavirus, but also the emerging variants that we are seeing that are becoming more dominant. Right now, there are studies that are coming out that are saying, well, one dose of either a Pfizer vaccine or an AstraZeneca vaccine would not be effective enough to help you fight off severe symptomatic infection against this virus. 
Now, that's why they said that once you take two doses of that vaccine, either Pfizer or the AstraZeneca vaccine, about 12 weeks apart, you see a better level of protection against symptomatic disease caused by these variants. And so given the findings from this study, that's why you might see a lot of people raising questions about why India would want to maybe look at a single-dose version of Covishield, because it is the Indian version of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And if in the UK they're saying that a single dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine is not going to be effective in preventing symptomatic disease from the variants, the dominant variants in the UK and India causing COVID, then why is it that India is looking at just a single dose in this case? But experts over here are saying that that's why it is so important for India to conduct its own studies to see, is that going to be true for the Indian population? Because there are differences in the way that the disease has progressed in the UK and the way that the disease has progressed in India. And there are also differences in the priorities of the two governments. In India, we're looking at preventing severe disease and death from COVID, whereas in the UK, they're trying to prevent symptomatic disease altogether. So they don't want people to present with even moderate symptoms let alone you know, severe disease and, and death. So those are some aspects that people have to take into account when they're trying to look at a, a study and look at the kind of move that the government over here is trying to make, which is to study whether it will be beneficial for us to just shift from a two-dose regime to just a single-dose regime of Covishield. Right. And Prabha, before we end this segment, can you also tell us about this whole discussion of mixing vaccines? Uh, On what studies or evidences is it being considered? Another thing that the government is considering as part of its vaccination strategy is looking at whether or not it should mix different vaccines in giving the first and second dose to people. And this is mostly to see whether mixing of vaccines would lead to a better immune response against COVID-19. Of course, there's another valid reason for the government to want to potentially do this, which would be you know, to ensure that in the event of a shortage of one vaccine, that you can easily substitute it with another. But according to the sources that I spoke to, and according to one of the people who's involved in these discussions, this is basically to see whether giving, you know, say one dose of Covishield followed by another dose of, say, either the Pfizer vaccine or Covaxin or Sputnik V, whether doing that, doing a combination like this would help you achieve better protection against COVID-19 and variants of this virus. So that's one thing that they really want to study. Of course, in doing so, they're going to have to look at different aspects because we're going to be receiving quite a bit of, or we're expecting quite a few vaccines that are going to come into the market. And these are vaccines that haven't really been studied before in combinations. This includes some vaccines that are being made by Biological E, a vaccine that is being manufactured and developed by Genova, and uh, another vaccine by Zydas Catala. And these vaccines, I mean, they're all indigenous They haven't really been tested in global settings. 
And so this would probably be the first time that these would be tested, not just on a mass population, but in a study where you're mixing one dose of one of these vaccines with another dose of another vaccine. And what the government is going to do is they're going to look at whether it is okay to mix a vaccine that was developed using a very different platform than the other vaccine, whether those vaccines can be mixed, whether it is safe to be given that way to the population, what sort of adverse reactions come out of mixing such vaccines. And um, they're also going to see, does doing that actually increase the efficacy of the combination? Does it increase the efficacy of the vaccination that you're receiving against COVID-19? And so that's something that ideally, I mean, these are studies that, that should be done. It's expected that these studies will be done through a collaboration of the companies that have developed these vaccines as well as different bodies under the government, most notably the ICMR. And now for some COVID-related updates. The Supreme Court has asked the Centre to furnish detailed data on the purchase history till date of all COVID vaccines, including Covaxin, Covishield and Sputnik V. It also asked the Centre to place on record all relevant documents and file notings reflecting its thinking culminating in the vaccine policy. On the 31st of May, while hearing a so-motto matter on issues related to COVID-19 management, the top court had wondered if the mandatory registration requirement on the COVID portal for people to access vaccines is practical given the digital divide in the country. It had also asked the government, and I quote, to wake up and smell the coffee and ensure that its vaccine policy is flexible enough to accommodate changes to address the concerns. The Bombay High Court has said that if any ventilators supplied by the centre to Maharashtra are found to be defective, then these devices should be replaced. It also asserted that it will not allow experiments to be carried out on COVID-19 patients as majorly repaired ventilators may lead to loss of life. The Aurangabad bench of the High Court was hearing a bunch of petitions on issues related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, the court was informed by Prosecutor D.R. Kale appearing for the state government that more than 100 ventilators supplied by the centre to hospitals in the Marathawada region were found to be defective and hence were not being used. Meanwhile, the West Bengal Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee on Wednesday dubbed the centre's claim of vaccinating the entire population of the country above the age of 18 years by 2021 as a hoax. She asserted that the union government must provide jabs for free of cost to states. Banerjee also said that considering the gap between doses, the process to vaccinate the entire eligible age group should take six months to a year to complete. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Snigda Sharma, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. You can follow us and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter at Express Podcasts or send us an email at podcasts at indianexpress.com. And if you like this show, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from so more people can find us. You can also look for us in the audio section in the top right corner of our website, indianexpress.com. 